This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm joined today for a discussion about childcare in Door County. It's been a topic for a lot of folks over the last year. United Way has been leading a discussion throughout the county, kind of virtually, for a long time, and we thought we'd bring it onto the podcast here. Joining me today is Cindy Trinkner Piat from the Northern Door Children's Center and Alexis Fuller from the Door Community Child Development Center. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you. You know, childcare in the county has been a huge topic for a long time. It's been you know, COVID exacerbated some things, brought the discussion to the forefront for a lot of families and, and children and educators, but it's not something that's distinct to COVID. Cindy, why don't you tell me a little bit about the groundwork and why childcare has become such a hot topic for the community to get involved in? Well, as you said, COVID did bring a lot of this to the forefront, but these are issues that have been um, around for as long as I've been in the field, which is 40 years and probably before that. Some of the issues that we have with child care are the cost of child care for families. It can be expensive. The low wages for people who work in the field, even if they're highly educated, many of them are some of the lowest paid professionals as college graduates, as there are in any field. So you have to choose that as your field and understand that you're going to make a low wage for your entire career. So that is a difficulty. And then the quality of child care is really, really important. We know that the first five years are very, very important years for development and growth for children, for brain development, and they have to have high quality care. And high quality care costs a lot of money. So those three things together um, make it a really challenging business. Um, you mentioned the the wages. Let's put that in perspective for people, both on a kind of national and state level, but also a local level. What is the average wage for somebody who works in, in early child development? I believe in the state of Wisconsin, it's somewhere around $11 an hour. We are lucky here in Door County that both Alexis's organization and Northern Door Children's Center have um, made attempts to raise those wages mm -hmm. for um, some of their teachers and staff recently. But honestly, as much as we're doing, it's still maybe too little too late. Mm -hmm. We know that they're paying fifteen fifty an hour at Target to stock shelves overnight. We start our new exciting wage for teachers is $15 an hour. And that's our new exciting wage. That's brand new to us. And some of our teachers were making between 12 and $13 an hour. So though it's a nice bump for them and will make a difference for them, it's still not really a living wage for a teacher. Our lead teachers are going to be making $18 an hour, which we're very proud of, and it's been a long time coming. But again, $18 an hour in a Door County season is not a very high wage. Yeah, well, especially now when dishwashers with no experience whatsoever are able to get like $15 an hour. So no matter how much you love children and, and are passionate about it, it's really tough to stay in a job that you're sacrificing for your own family to help other families, which is great, but it makes it difficult. You know, when you're talking $11, $12 an hour, you're talking well under $30,000 a year for somebody, especially in a place where rents and, and housing costs are so high, it's a real pinch. There are some segments of the country where that might be still not good, 
but it's a it's a little more okay because you can maybe afford housing in those segments, but certainly not here. Alexis, what about for you down in Sturgeon Bay? Yeah, um, so our our rates are for staffing when we open decided to start out at that higher amount that's comparable to, to Cindy's, and you know that also unfortunately doesn't come with you know a benefit of health insurance, which we had to make that tough decision and kind of weigh out what was the best for the staff. But, you know, them having the higher wages and deciding what to do with their money was kind of more important to us at the time. I think just touching back to, you know, the with quality child care and the expectations of teachers and the education that they need to hold in order to have the standards, you know, associate's degree is, what, $15,000 maybe? So a, a bachelor's would probably be quite a bit more than that. And then for them being able to make, you know, what the average is, the 11 to $12 an hour, how do they have room to do anything else in their life for advance? So they're really making a huge life sacrifice for what they love. Yeah. And when you talk about those wages, I think it's important to put in context, like whatever you're paying, who are you competing with? Like who are the employees you're going after and what are their options? And I think in your industry, when you're talking about childcare and early childcare development, those are the same people who might be good candidates for a teacher's aid job at the school or maybe a, a teacher at the school, correct? Yeah. Yep. That's correct. Actually, um, we have a wonderful board of directors at Northern Door Children's Center, and they formed an ad hoc committee and met all through the winter and the spring and actually gathered that data. They gathered um, exterior data from all different areas. What would an executive director make? if they worked at another not-for-profit in Northern Door County? What if they worked in Green Bay? What if they worked in Sturgeon Bay? What does that wage look like? And they gathered all of that. What does a teacher at Gibraltar area schools make? What does an aide at Gibraltar area schools make? And then they looked at people in the service industry as well, people with similar backgrounds and similar education. What do they make? It was eye-opening. <laughs> and that's really where the um, increased wages came from. We just understood that we just had to find a way to make it happen, and we did make it happen. Not that it's not, there's a little trepidation about it because I'm increasing my budget exponentially to make these wage increases, but it was black and white, clear as day, that we are extremely underpaid, and if we want to continue to have quality people, we have to do it. Well, I'm I'm thinking if you were going to go become a teacher's aide, I think some of the numbers I've heard is, you know, if you're going to be a teacher's aide at a local school, somewhere 18 to $22 an hour might be possible. And then if you're full-time, you're getting healthcare benefits, which is massive for most people. And then do either of you, Alexis, I know you said you guys are not able to offer health insurance right now. What about at Northern Door Children's Center? No. In 2009, when we had the downturn in the economy, um, at that point we were offering health insurance. And at that point it was either close the center or discontinue those benefits. And we chose to discontinue them and um, have not reinstated them. And then I think you said in one of the forums with United Way, which is if anybody wants to go on a real deep dive into the childcare situation in Door County, United Way has done a great job of coordinating these community forums with all kinds of different stakeholders. They're all available on YouTube. We have posted links to those on our website at doorcountypulse.com. There's some really interesting information because this is such a deep topic. It really does take like a dozen forums to really get to the root of it. But when you talk about that healthcare issue, you said that when the Affordable Care Act came in, it sort of helped as you had to drop benefits because it made, unfortunately, most of your employees 
qualify for a huge subsidy through the Affordable Care Act, so they were able to afford insurance. Correct. That's exactly what happened. There were a few years in between there that Mm -hmm. that was not possible, but we've done a pretty good job, I think, of helping our employees access the Affordable Care Act, helping them get through the process if they need assistance with that so that they can get health care if they choose to do that. But I understand what Alexis is saying. You have to make some decisions about, do you want to put more money in their pocket through a wage, or do you want to purchase a health care benefit for them, which may or may not be needed by them, or, or may or may not be for everybody. more right. expensive than what they could get on the marketplace. So I understand the decision to put more money in a person's pocket and let them make that decision. Yeah. And especially, you know, we are finding that a lot of, you know, when we were, we did have insurance through our employer, it didn't benefit everybody the same. So if I can't find something like that, and I'm sure Cindy's the same way, then why are, why would we push it when, yeah. it, you know, it's their money, truly. It, and it, it's difficult too, because then you have to manage a healthcare plan. And yep. I know from my past experience, managing a healthcare plan is time. It's an investment as well. You know, there's the cost to the business, but there's the cost and time of always reevaluating, answering employees' questions. We're small businesses. We're our own human resources department. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And then you become the scapegoat. When that plan doesn't meet your employees' needs, I know as an employee in the past and as an employer, the employee kind of takes that out on the business for not having the plan that helps them as much. So it's, it's a really complicated situation. So I totally understand the decision not to. But you know, talking about those wages, those level of wages mean, especially if you're under $15 an hour, means that most of your staff qualifies for subsidized housing, to put it in perspective for people. And I think at Northern Door Children's Center, in one of those forums, you had mentioned what even the directors and your top level staff makes. You both had to clean rooms on the side Mm -hmm. to make ends meet for a long time. And without, you know, without a spouse or a significant other who contributes to those expenses, you qualify for subsidized housing that the housing that's proposed for Sister Bay is where a lot of our childcare teachers and, and caregivers would have to live. That's true. That is true not only for child care, but for lots of other issues in Northern Door. For housing, for the cost of gasoline, for the cost of groceries, it's just the cost of living in general. And I think what I find happens for a lot of our employees is though they are not poor by federal standards, perhaps, they don't meet the federal guidelines, by Door County standards, they are definitely poor Mm. because of what it costs to live here. I still have to send my children to college somewhere else, whether whether I live in Door County or not. So low wages, high cost of living equals a net of less dollars. And that's the situation that a lot of people are living in because they they just can't get ahead with the cost of housing, the cost you know, cost of everything to live right. here. It's a wonderful place to live, but there's a price to be paid. Mm-hmm. So Alexis, so the obvious question is like, why not just pay more? Well, that would be really great if it was that easy, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it it's hard because then we'd have to raise our tuition rates, which I feel like right now we're, you know, when deciding to open we did have to start out with a little bit higher, but mostly comparable to the county and Brown County and kind of had to figure out a different way to bring that down and more affordable for families with our tuition scholarship. But I knew that, you know, initially we had to get that number for our staff and that in turn makes rates go up as well. The marketplace, you know, so for a lot of goods and services, if there's demand for something, that means you can charge more. 
Does that hold true in your experience in a childcare industry? Can you just simply raise your rates in this community to pay people more? Do you think there's an opportunity to do that? I mean, we could, but could every family afford it? Is it best for everybody, you know, within the community? No. Then families on subsidy would not be able to get the rate that they can afford and, you know, the middle income. Families, I think, are what struggle the most through all of it and who have kind of had to make the decision of having their extended family watch their children or wanting part-time care because they have to make it up somehow. And, you know, that was a big part of our tuition scholarship that United Way helped us with and our fundraising as well. I know Cindy does a lot of fundraising. But, you know, basically we're kind of scrounging just to meet everybody's needs because even if we would raise our prices, then who would come to us? They couldn't afford us. So. Right. And I think that perpetuates underground childcare. Mm-hmm. Alexis, you sort of alluded to that. People may have relatives or family members or neighbors care for their children part-time. Families may work opposite shifts. Um, one parent works days, one works nights so that they can accommodate childcare. Those are all ways that people have done it for a lot of years. Again, we know that consistency and high quality is what is important for children. And though you can make it work that way, we shouldn't have to make it work that way. There should be a way that we can make this work that a child can be in a consistent, caring, loving environment with people that they know for the first five years of their life. Hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I think going along with Cindy too, when you talk about like quality childcare, it seems to be that, you know, most people that are invested in that have, you know, listened to the United Way forums and have been along for the ride the whole time, really understand it. They know it. They've asked the questions. It's more so that group that's kind of like, well, I didn't go to daycare. I turned out fine. Um, I turned out okay. But did you really turn out okay? Like, you know, like judging Do you say that to people? No, I mean, I probably said that to people. Um, But, you know, I think... You're really popular at dinner parties. (laughs) I know. I know. But, you know, it's kind of like goes into that whole you know, aspect of like, that's your perception of it. But truly, is it the best? And, you know, why are we just striving to be okay for our children to end up being okay? Well, and also if people, let's say you grew up, I grew up in the 80s. At that time, my parents were shopkeepers. I didn't go to daycare or preschool because largely I don't even think it existed. But you grew up in the shop as like your parents doing this job and taking care of you. The other thing is like if you go to the 70s, late 70s is when the median household income kind of hit its ceiling and it's been pretty much stable ever since. So we've been in 40 plus years of kind of the same household income. And that's even with people taking on more wage earners in the home. So into the 1970s, a lot of those people who might say, well, I didn't need that. Their mom or their dad might have been at home, probably their mom in that era. And dad was a single breadwinner in a lot of cases or mom worked part time and dad worked full time. And that basically doesn't exist. You can't afford to live and own a home that way unless you are in a, a, a higher income bracket or one of your the spouses in a pretty high income bracket. So that era, it's, it's not the same. It's not apples to apples. When you're comparing growing up in the 70s and even 80s with growing up now and trying to raise a family and own a home or even rent a home in Door County. I wanted to kind of piggyback on something that Alexis said when she was talking about people wanting part-time care. So if you're looking for care from another source besides a child care center, you may choose a relative. That 
puts her center in a position of having to offer part-time care. I know um, we talked about how the situation in Sturgeon Bay can be different than the situation in Northern Door, and I think it is. Northern Door, our policies at Northern Door Children's Center are extremely flexible compared to most child care centers. Probably more flexible than Sturgeon Bay, certainly more flexible than Green Bay or Milwaukee or Madison area. We do five different contracts per year so that people can change their contract based on how much they're working during that part of the year. That doesn't happen other places. You sign a contract for a year, that's your contract. But here, if I'm working June, July, and August, and then I'm not going to work past that summer season, I can discontinue my contract and come back anytime within that year and still be an in-house family and get back in. We don't charge for snow days. We don't charge for holidays. We have all kinds of part-time schedules for people, half days, partial weeks, after school. We do all of that because that's what we need in our community. But when money gets tight, that's one of the first things that changes is Mm -hmm. policy. And parents end up paying more money. Well, and I think, too, you know, going into the whole 4K subject, sorry, Miles, to direct it. It's a great segue, actually. (laughs) I was going to say, you know, with Cindy, she gets all of those kids that come, the school-age kiddos in the summer, or the 4K program that she knows that she can offer that flexible schedule as well because it will be made up somehow so she meets the needs of everybody in the community. Well, let's go into the the 4K topic. Four-year-old kindergarten, for those unfamiliar, is when I was going to school, it was was just kindergarten. You didn't have it defined by ages. And then over time, over the last 20, 30 years, it's been more popular offer four-year-old kindergarten, so an extra year of kindergarten for kids through the public school system. And for a parent of a four-year-old, it is a great scenario because now you don't have to pay for childcare. You can send your kid to school. For the school, it's a great scenario because they get to tax based on those additional students. It's a really good bonus and it makes better use of the existing facility that they have. The problem is it causes an issue for people in your world. Alexis, you were part of the daycare center when it was with the Y. I believe you were probably there while that impact was felt. And yeah. I believe the four-year-old kindergarten, if I'm if I have this right, was a major reason the YMCA got out of the business and put your situation in crisis. So can you outline how that impacted? Yes, when I actually started working for the Y, they had just recently opened the Lansing Center, so they had two centers open. Um, And that's kind of when they had the 4K wraparound program. So they were able to have 4K kiddos in the morning and then the new ones come in the afternoon, which allowed them to keep both centers open and allow for more slots of childcare. But then once the move to full day 4K came along, we really depend on the ratios of, uh, you know, one to one to 10 or one to 13 with our four-year-olds to be able to it's make one teacher to 10 one or teacher, 13 yeah, sorry. children. Yep. To make up for offering that one to four in our infant room. So we can take more children under one and not lose out a whole bunch because we can rely on the the rates, you know, from the higher amount of four-year-olds or three-year-olds. So in, in the four-year-old, you're essentially cutting your labor costs by two-thirds by having those ratios. Exactly. Yeah. And I have not looked at my numbers, my budget numbers, but I know prior to us giving raises, our big substantial raises, we were losing in excess of $50 a week, every week, all year long, for every infant and every toddler that we serve. So every person on one, in one half of my building, every child right. that is enrolled was a loss. Well, and nothing is consistent. So we can't just rely on a certain amount of children in every single room at all times. Right. I mean, not even 
per month, can we, because of mm-hmm. enrollment? So, and, and people withdrawing if they do. But also when two-year-olds, you know, when they get to a two and a half, then we can have more in a room. And it's just, it doesn't always fit the needs of everybody in the community, or we're always trying to fit the needs, but then can't make up for it now with so that loss. That, that buffer. Yeah. And so what happened with, in Sturgeon Bay then, when they offered all day, that really affected the YMCA's ability to take as many seats. Yes. So they had to make the decision, the hard decision, to have to transition everybody as much as they could back into Barker, um, the Barker Center. And then some you know, staff, unfortunately, got laid off. It was a very, very hard situation for everyone to be in, I think. It was hard for the community, knowing that there was one center maxed out and that one had, had not survived it. So. And then at Northern Door Children's Center, I know this is, if my memory is right, the idea of four-year-old kindergarten at Gibraltar came up maybe like 10 years ago? 2009, yes. Okay. And what happened when that came up? We were well-versed in what 4K was. We Northern Door Children's Center had sort of been preparing for the fact that uh, Wisconsin was pushing for 4K in all of its districts. So we'd been attending all of the Department of Public Instruction 4K conferences. We made sure that our teacher had the correct licensure, ready for a collaboration was what, uh, what we wanted to have happen. There were intense discussions over a period of a month or so in, I believe, March of 2009, school board meetings, discussions with the uh, school personnel, with parents, um, and uh, trying to explain to everyone what the impact of 4K would be. The school asked us to present a budget explaining what would happen to Northern Door Children's Center with the removal of four-year-olds. They asked us to present a budget with um, how much it would cost us to do a collaborative 4K with Gibraltar Area Schools. We did all of that. Ultimately, the recommendation that came to the Board of Directors was for an in-school-only non-collaborative model. That is not what we wanted to have happen. That's not what a lot of parents wanted to have happen for exactly the reasons that Alexis just outlined. We were very vocal. Um, At that point, uh, the board decided not to move forward with 4K. Okay. And we haven't heard too much about it in term years. Now we are starting to hear a little bit more about it. Again, we would want a collaborative approach. We still have all of the things in place that we had in place in 2009. And even more, I will say we have a rockin' private 4K program. Mm-hmm. It's really wonderful. It's just chock full of quality and exciting fun opportunities for kids. Um, There's no reason why it can't work in our community, um, but it's going to take some collaboration and some understanding on both sides. If Gibraltar were to adopt a strict 4K program where they just offer it and there's no collaboration, does Northern Door Children's Center, are you able to exist? Not in the way that we exist now. I would hope that we would continue to exist in some way. I would assume what will happen is we would eliminate our four-year-old program altogether, which would mean eliminating those teachers. Um, That would mean there would be no four-year-old care for children outside of school uh, weeks, so there'd be no summer care for four-year-olds and no vacation care for four-year-olds. And I don't know financially. I have not crunched those numbers yet, but that's coming on my agenda it's going to be more difficult. Even if we do collaborate, the dollars that we will lose through tuition are much higher than the dollars that we would gain from taxation dollars that Gibraltar schools would give us. And just to be clear, the dollars would go directly to Gibraltar schools. The dollars do not come to the collaborating community partner. Mm. So they decide how much money they're going to give us. 
And so I'm guessing this would lead to either much higher rates for the parents of younger children or a massive fundraising program that we already are a massive fundraising program Uh (laughs) so yes it will result in higher rates for all of the rest of the age groups and it will result in what i was talking about with more restrictive policies so for instance help me here alexis i think what they did in sturgeon bay was if you come three days a week yep three days or more you're you're going to pay for five days so you're full-time at three days a week. Right now, people want to come two days a week to Northern Door Children's Center. They pay for two days a week or pay for three days a week. But those more restrictive policies that give um, the center more stability would have to be implemented. So parents and families are going to pay more. They're going to pay more one way or the other. Yeah, and I, I've noticed, too, that our four-year-olds, that they really have a loss of child care, you know, in, in regards to after-school care, summer camp. You know, they're very restrictive with summer camp. It's a one-to-six ratio um, once you have four-year-olds in that setting, so versus one-to-thirteen. So, you know, that doesn't give a lot of options. And if staffing's already not good, you know, who's going to work just three hours a day and be licensed and have all the qualifications to run a four-year-old program? Hmm. I think that's kind of going to be an up-and-coming issue. You know, 52%, and I don't know if that's 2021 numbers, but at least 2019, 52% of the state of Wisconsin is already a child care desert. And we already have limited child care in our county, so it would not take much to turn us into a a real desert, well, the, after, the Mojave Desert. <laughs> after just, and you know, I had mentioned to Cindy too before we got started, you know, they just raised their pay rates for their staff and now they just got hit with something else to knock them down. And it, it almost feels as though people in the childcare industry always kind of are wondering what, what next, you know, <laughs> is this too good to be true? Or, you know, we have the spotlight, but for like how long? Yeah, you've mentioned that before, Alexis, your concern of like, okay, people care now. People are paying attention. Maybe that means more donors are coming and saying, hey, how can I help? But does that go away after COVID, once some people return to work? And that's a facet of this as well, is the workforce impact. Because the obvious question is, I have a one-year-old, so this is very pertinent to me individually right now. And for any parent, it becomes pretty pertinent. If you go back a little farther as an older parent, you might be like, well, we got by without it. But like anyone in the last 20, 25 years probably understands a lot of this. But what about those people like I was 10 years ago going, okay, yeah, you, you chose to have a child, so you got to pay for it. That's the cost of having a child, and maybe you just didn't budget well enough. And someone would be justified in saying that. Like, there are plenty of people who choose not to. So why, why go through all these hoops to subsidize it or to try and figure out this problem? Like, isn't this a problem of parents or maybe a problem of the school? But there's also a workforce component. I know in our office, we employ 24 people at the Pulse. We've had a bit of a baby boom within our office with four or five different employees over the last couple of years having children, a couple more before that. And you just, as an employer, seeing them struggle to figure out the daycare scenarios and piece it together is pretty interesting. Seeing people like myself just wondering, like, am I going to get in? You know, I, I was playing that waiting game for a long time. Just And basically, we got into the Northern Door Children's Center two weeks before we knew we had to because my wife was returning to work. And up to that point, we were trying to figure out like how are we, how are we going to pay $15 an hour for somebody to come and babysit. In that case, really just be a babysitter, not an educator. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of different things that impact a workforce. But I've interviewed people, in, especially in the Sturgeon Bay area, where 
okay, they get a job, they get a great opportunity, they get offered a job, they look for houses. If they are fortunate enough to find the housing solution, which is difficult enough up here, then their young family, which is the prime demographic we've been trying to attract in Door County my entire life is young families. And then they look for a place to put their kid and they, they see that there's this huge struggle for daycare. So what do they end up doing? I talked to many who said, we ended up living in Kiwani County or Green Bay, which means their expenditures stay there. They, they work here, take their money home, spend it in their home community like anybody does. I'm not knocking them. That's just what you would do. Now they're paying for childcare somewhere else. They're sending eventually their school. Their kid is going to school somewhere else. They're less invested in our community. Their volunteer time goes to that community. It's this, this huge exodus of cash because we are paying them to work and then they're taking that all to a different community in many cases. And a huge exodus of human capital. Like you said, they're not in our community, not in the same way that they're in their home community. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's all kinds of capital. And I think for you saying, you know, 10 years ago, it was if you had a child, then yeah, that's your problem. Like deal with it. But also, you know, you have to look at anything you're going to do in Door County. Anybody that comes into Door County is responsible for childcare because you have the benefits of it. So if you have a benefit of this county, then you should be helping with childcare and making sure that it's efficient. And when you talk about that benefit, it's, hey, you like restaurants, you're going to go out to eat. How you spend your time. How do you think that waitress is able to be at your table or that bartender or that cook is able to be there if they have a child? It's because they have some sort of care system set up. So what are the potential solutions? We've talked about some of the hurdles and there are many and there are many we haven't even touched on. We really haven't gotten into like what well, maybe we should do this a little bit. We'll try and do this briefly because I do want to talk about solutions. But we talk about childcare. We talk, some people say daycare, childcare, child development, school, <laughs> kindergarten, whatever you want to call it. And then quality. And we've talked about the affordability factor. But like, what is good quality childcare? Well, the underlying pieces have to be health and safety. I mean, that's number one. Mm-hmm. And when you have people who are taking care outside of some kind of registered or licensed care, those are the chances that you're taking, that it may not be those. It could be those, but it may not be those. So that has to underlie everything. It has to be healthy, has to be safe, has to be nurturing. The early years are the important years. That bonding between mm-hmm. a caregiver and a child is what builds their brain. And you can't have a million of those caregivers. They can only bond to so many. So again, the turnover in the workforce in this field is a real problem because babies bond to a person. Six months later, they're bonding to another person. And one of the things that we do at Northern Door Children's Center that's really great is we loop our children so that once they bond to their caregiver, as an infant, they stay with that caregiver until the end of our toddler loop, which is three years old. So they're not bonding over and over and over again. And we've been fortunate enough to have some long-term staff. So that's important, that consistency and that bonding with caregivers. Then there's a variety of other things that can be quality, depending on what is the culture of your community. Obviously, education is a component. You want to make sure that you are doing things that are culturally sensitive and important to your families. Alexis, what else? When I look back to, you know, when I think of like quality child care, I was in, my parents both worked as I was growing up in Door County, and um, I was in child care programs, and I try to remember, you know, who were my teachers and what I learned and what were my experiences. And in elementary school, I'd have teachers that would come up to me who were my past teachers, and, you know, they would remember me, but I didn't remember them quite that much. I think mostly, you know, what you remember is the friendships you made and, like, the experiences and the memories of 
you know, laughing so hard that you fell off your chair that, you know, just, I think it's more so the experiences that the teachers are facilitating and mm-hmm. their ability to individualize that for every child. A lot of what we're learning right now is how important emotional intelligence is for children at such a young age, even, you know, obviously the bonding at birth, but then from six months to a year now, they are saying that they're validated with their feelings when they're crying. And, you know, a lot of times it's more uncomfortable for us because that's how we were raised. It was from our life experiences, but really we should be comfortable with the crying and allowing them to express themselves, whether they're happy, mad, sad, you know, as long as they're safe. But this allows them then to see other people's feelings and communicate with them and have empathy for them. And it's really, I think, the root of everything. And I think to really grasp it, we've had a lot of fun learning about it and taking, I guess, courses. But I think because we're all so invested, we see it, we see the outcome, we see the difference that we're going to make in this kiddo's life that might not get that much attention at home, but for, you know, 50 hours a week, he's with us. And that's going to create who he is one day. You know, I, I had an impression of daycare as daycare, you know, that, okay, this is a babysitter. People are dropping their kids off and that's just someone to watch the kid for the day. And a few years ago, I, I was doing a story about Northern Door Children's Center and it was the first time I actually like toured the building before I had a child myself and really saw that, oh, there's, this is education. <laughs> this is teaching. This is reading. This is, this is so much more than, and maybe I was naive. Maybe everybody has that impression of it, but it really opened my eyes to what it can be. And then I also talked to some parents who had pretty different situations than the average person. You know, some one parent with a a child with pretty severe uh, disabilities. And what that parent told me was to see their child grow up in a setting like that and make friends and for the friends around them to be okay with it and not be shocked and standoffish, but just like, okay, we just grew up with this and this is our friend. It's not the handicapped kid, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and when I was growing up and not having daycare and things, you would go in and sometime around second or third grade, they might finally introduce a child with disabilities into your classroom. And they were the other. They were this person who floated in and were obviously different and was introduced as somebody different. But what this parent told me is that's not the case for her child. It's built into this class. And now when she goes to school, she's got this built in group of friends that have her back, that are used to her, that don't treat her differently. And same thing goes with children of different races and cultural backgrounds. I've heard the same thing from parents like that, that that value comes through. And it, it really changed my impression of what childcare is and more than just daycare, more than just a place to drop your kids Sense off. Sense of belonging. Yeah, it's what Alexis was saying. Some of those children are with us 50 hours a week. It's what the word you're looking for is it's family. That's really what it is. It's an extension of family. We're partnering with parents to provide these children with the best possible early childhood that we can. But 50 hours a week is a lot of hours. And, <laughs> and, and yeah. it needs to be good. It needs to be a good 50 hours a week. But especially here in Northern Door, we have children who start with us when they're six weeks old. And they are going to stay with those same children until they graduate from Gibraltar area schools in 12th grade. That is a long relationship. Mm-hmm. And they Tell me about it. <laughs> it it's very much sibling-like. And they, they exactly, and they stay with us for the first five years. They go off to school, and then, like this week, with our summer programs starting, 
40 of them came roaring back in our door this morning and it's like they're coming home. You know, they know where they are, they know where they've been, they know the rules, they know that who those same teachers are going to be in Camp Cool and they're going to be waiting for them and what they're going to be doing for the summer. It's like family coming home. It's like going on a family vacation but in a child care center. <laughs> what so now let's get back to that question about solutions. So, I don't think there's a single parent listening to this who wants to pay more. There are some who can pay more. There are many who cannot. So with that baseline, like what are the options out there to improve the the situation for both reducing that turnover, getting more people into the industry, and then being able to pay them if you do get them in and you do get good people and quality people. And if you can somehow figure out the housing conundrum separately from this conversation, how do you create a funding mechanism and a model that obviously you've been able to make this work? Um, took a crisis in Sturgeon Bay. Right now it's working for you, Alexis. And Northern Door Children's Center has figured a way to do it for 20 some years. 4K obviously would throw a big wrench in that. But even without 4K, I'd imagine it's a constant struggle to, like you said, you're paying people 11 bucks an hour. That's not very sustainable, especially as housing prices go up. My neighbor's house, which they bought for 185000 a few years ago is on the market for 320000 right now. Nobody at your center is going to buy that house. No. So what can be done? Is there any low-hanging fruit? Well, as you said, the United Way has been looking at this issue, and they've put together some listening groups and some task forces, and we've sort of gotten together and tried to pick some of that low-hanging fruit, if, if it is low. <laughs> it seems like most of the issues and most of the solutions come back to some kind of government subsidy, just because it's such a massive amount of money that we're talking about. And you know, as we've just discussed, we have come to the forefront recently, and um, there have been several rounds of child care counts grants, which have been very instrumental in allowing us to be able to stay open during the whole COVID period. Add and bonuses to our staff. And too. add yeah. bonuses to our staff who worked through, at Northern Door Children's Center, we worked through every single day of the pandemic, every single day, and including in the early days when we had no idea. <laughs> what the risk was and, and what we were doing. And you changed a lot of what that job was, which I know for a fact, like you change one small part of an employee's day, it's stressful and it's it can be a hang up. And you guys had to drastically change how you operate. Absolutely. So the, the Child Care Counts grants have really helped and they have continued and that has helped. And I know that um, in the Wisconsin budget, there are additional dollars through, I think it's called Child Care Strong. I don't know, 116 the, yeah. million or billion. I don't know how many, it must be million <laughs> dollars that they're looking to continue to subsidize child care centers in some ways. What I see, again, those are big dollars. Is compared, it enough? Though? But is it right. enough is the question. It, it's enough to at least allow us to do some things, yeah. I think. And it's way more than we've ever been offered before. So I hope that those things do continue and do help child care centers who are struggling to even stay in, in existence to be able to do that. As far as other low-hanging fruit, I think some of the things that we have to do is continue to preserve what we do have. So back to the 4K conversation, we need to make sure that that's not another nail in the coffin. We need to make sure that that can be a collaborative effort that is good for the community in general and as a whole, not just for parents of four-year-olds for one year of their school education. So I think we have to maintain what we have and continue to look for any kind of fruit, low-hanging or otherwise. Yeah. For us, we've had a lot of help from businesses, and I mean very much like anybody in the community on a certain level. 
any level has helped us out. And I think that's amazing. But again, how far does it go? And how many times can you ask over and over, you know, before they're like, well, we don't really have much more to give you, you know? Thankfully, we haven't run into that yet. But again, you have to plan for someday being sustainable on your own. And I guess that would be our end goal. But yeah, I I agree with Cindy. I think it's going to take something more probably from government help, but also just kind of covering our bases. You know, this is probably the first time that our center has really the most that we've ever had communications with Northern Door Center Hmm. ever. I think. And we've been working closely with Boys and Girls Club, too. And I think just making sure that everybody's taken care of, because at the end of the day, it's just the kids that we have to cover. So who are you accountable for? And you got them. Let's figure it out. You know, well, you don't want people sitting in silos. So if you think of like child care and child care development, that involves the schools, that involves all the different child care centers, that involves peninsula preschool and private caregivers. So when you have people in a silo, if you're Gibraltar area school or Sturgeon Bay school, you go in my silo, 4K makes a ton of sense for our bottom line. But what does it mean community wide? And that's, I think, what you're maybe getting at a little bit. And whatever you guys can offer, whatever you learn, like making sure that Northern Door learns those same things. Another possibility or a devil's advocate question is like, okay, we don't like the idea of more government subsidies. Subsidies mean taxes, means more out of my pocketbook to subsidize other people who chose to have children and I didn't, you know, or what it might be. Or I had my children back in the day and we did it this way, so I shouldn't have to subsidize you. Like, and there's some validity to any of those statements, flippant or not. So why not just raise it through nonprofits? Well, and I, that was the point I was going to make. Both or philanthropy of, is a better word. Well, both of our organizations are um, 501c3 organizations. So we do have a very generous donor base. And many, many of them stepped up during the pandemic and said, I'm going to give you my annual donation now because I think you can use it now instead hmm. of making you wait until December when you ask me for it. So being a not-for-profit is very beneficial to our organization, I would assume mm-hmm. to yours as well. Um, I've worked for both for-profit centers and for not-for-profit centers. I'm a big believer in putting every penny that we get right back into yeah. programs. There isn't much of a bottom line, so to try to squeeze some out as a profit is not in my personal playbook. <laughs> no, and I think like, you know, Cindy and I have talked about this too, is, you know, our wages as executive directors comparable to other executive directors in the county for nonprofits. I can't say we're making too much at the end of the day, at the end of the week, you know, at the end of the year. So really, I mean, put a lot back into it. You know, it does go back to if, if our staff aren't making a livable wage, then why would we reap the benefits of their work? you know, mm-hmm. and, and went out. Um, and when you say like what you guys have both tried to do is take those wages from say like the 10, 11, $12 mark and get that into the 15, 16, 17, $18 mark. But if you talk about going from $12 an hour to $18 an hour, you're talking about a 33% increase. Labor is the primary cost, I assume, for anybody in education and almost any... About 80% of our budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a substantial increase. To get to what is kind of like the, the new baseline, for getting even a base level quality worker, let alone making drastic improvements and making it to a point where these people can afford to buy a home here because $15 an hour does not get you the ability to buy a home. And certainly in Northern Door County, it doesn't get you the ability to rent a home because there's nothing for rent. (laughs) And what is for rent is beyond that price point anyway. If we got there, we'd actually still be aiming to, we're getting kind of back to a baseline. (laughs) We're not actually getting to this great improvement stage. It is interesting. I've had the experience in having my child over the last year 
And then my brother, a couple of years older than me, lives in Brussels, Belgium. He had his first child just a couple of months ago. And it's been really interesting having conversations with him and the, uh, the dynamic and what we have to worry about here versus what he has to worry about there, where there are taxes that are way higher that pay for it. And yeah, he complains about those like anybody would. But, you know, he didn't have to worry about the cost of the pregnancy. And when he came home, they sent a nurse home two days later to check on both the mom and the baby. And they have periodic check-ins. They have mandatory physical therapy for the mother and all those things that here we are left to scramble on our own for, even in a small community, and then advocate for the woman's health and the child's health. And then uh, once you come to the daycare discussion, he doesn't have to talk about it. They have public daycare, so he can go to that and use that, or he can pay a premium to go to, I guess, a private premium daycare. But he he said the child care there that's available publicly is fantastic, so why would he do it? So it's just interesting that he doesn't have any of those expenses on the top of his head. He doesn't have any of that wait list idea on the top of his head, whereas in our community, every parent is grappling with that unless they are in a certain income bracket where those numbers don't matter as much. Well, and I think, it, you know, a lot of it, especially for women, is that we're expected to get out and work and, and, you know, get a good job, and we want to, but then also to be amazing parents as well and raise the best children. Well, it's kind of been a broken cycle for a long time, I think. Um, when my dad was growing up, my grandma was a charge nurse, and so she worked long, crazy hours and loved her job. Um, my grandpa was in retail, when so this left my dad and his older sister to um, help raise the three younger children. And... You know, when I said before, like, but did you end up okay, really? For you, it was what you knew, and it was good enough, but now we think we know better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's 55 years later, and the cycle's still the same. It's still broken. So at what point do we actually look into changing it? It is interesting that the places we put our kids, we are kind of most complacent about in a lot of ways, because when it comes to education, we all look at education as like, well, it worked for me. And we don't recognize that the world changed. We run our business and we'd say, hey, we have to upgrade technology. We have to upgrade training. We got to learn this new skill. But with our kids, it's like, well, I just had that textbook. It was fine. And I was that way even when I was like 30 and they said, hey, yeah, we're going to get tablets for every kid in Gibraltar. And I was like, what a waste of money. What are they doing? Like, and Thank then, God we had those tablets when COVID hit. Yeah. Well, that and also with, within a year, it was very clear that like, oh, that actually is great job training because there are certain schools who will have that and those kids will be ready for what colleges are doing and then what businesses are doing and certain schools will not. And those kids will be behind when they enter the workforce or when they enter college. And like, I'm, I'm a thrifty guy. I, I question every expense and every expenditure in a new program. But at the same time, you have to step out of what your mindset is and what worked for you and go like, what works today? For everybody, mm -hmm. you know, and like the same, like with my dad, and he, I pick on him and he'll be okay about it. But, um, <laughs> you know, that I turned, we turned out okay. And it's like, but what if you didn't have to just be okay? You know, like what if, what, what else could you have done to allow, you know, your parents to have their thriving careers, but you would have had somebody taking care of you too? Yeah. You know, who would you have become? Who would your siblings become without the hardship of being raised by a sibling? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm the fifth of six, so I was raised by older sisters too. <laughs> <laughs> that's lost potential. That's what, that's yeah, what, what you're it talking is. about is right. lost potential. Right. 
Well, we are about out of time. This has been a really good discussion. I hope the listeners find it informative. We could probably have a bunch more of these if we wanted to, but I, I hope this gives a good baseline for understanding of what the, at least what the situation is, if, even if we didn't come up with a grand solution here. But, you know, there'll be more discussions, especially as Gibraltar continues their uh, discussions about 4K, and especially as both of you try to figure out the model that works and the way to keep these centers afloat. Like you said, Alexis, things have been going good, but what happens when the attention's off. So thanks both of you for coming on. Thanks for having having us. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.